Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. Jesus, our Lord, our precious Savior, Redeemer, the one in whom we trust. Lord, we want our incense to rise today. We want, Lord, as it speaks in Revelation 8, 1, Lord, when the seventh seal was opened, the incense was poured out and the prayers of saints mixed with it. And it went up into your presence, bringing about the coming of the Lord and fulfilling the prayers of the saints to the ages that have longed and waited for this day. May we today realize that we are part of what you're doing, Lord, in this hour, in this time, that we are people that have been called and chosen and placed in this dispensation, this age, to respond to the word of God that has been sent. Lord, you know the struggles of life and the things that each one goes through and the burdens that we bear and the dangers of this Laodicean age. And Lord, if it wasn't for your grace, Lord, we would all be as Sodom and Gomorrah. But your grace, your favor has been poured out in this evening time. May, Lord, today we walk in that favor. May we enjoy the presence of the Lord and Oh, God, may we feast upon the word that has been given. May it be more today than just another teaching session or just another time where we pass on some intellectual knowledge and we polish the hubs again. But may, oh, God, today it be that we enter into your your courts, Lord. And in your presence, we experience the fullness of joy and the power of your resurrection. And you move across and out from among us ever doubt and fear. And Lord, you move across this congregation like a rushing mighty wind. Lord, blowing the chaff away and leaving the wheat, the grain, Lord, to be harvested. Blow sin out of our lives, Lord. Every bit of unbelief, even in my own life, Lord, the unbelief that I would struggle with. Lord, the doubts, the fears. Lord, oh God, I pray you'll blow them away today by the Holy Spirit. Sweep across this congregation. There are those, Lord, that are struggling with issues in their lives and secret sins and things that they've done or said or behaved. Lord, I pray you'll forgive them. You'll move on their behalf today and bring them into that relationship with you. God, that nearness, may they fall in love with you today. We're yours, Lord. I give this congregation to your hands, this service for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. I want us to sing an old song here just a moment before we go into the message this morning. It shall be light in the evening time. I mean, believes we have the evening time light. Amen. G.T. Haywood wrote this back years ago. He was one of the black bishops 
in the early Pentecostal move that caught the vision of baptizing in Jesus' name. And it was when they realized there was one God, you know, this just struck a, a flame in their heart. And for years and years and years, even today, in among their circles, they're rejoicing just over this one little revelation that was given to them. And how much more have you been given today? Amen. As God is bringing us into the full land and full inheritance. And we ought to say, it shall be light in the evening time. Amen. Let the, let the light shine in its full glory and its full power. Revelation chapter 10 would say his face or his countenance was as it were the sun. My, that's an illumination. That's a brightness of his coming. As he said, he would, he would come with the brightness of his coming and destroy the adversary. Make the light of God shine today on the word and illuminate the word. And do more than that, but illuminate our hearts. Reach down, even down into the dark areas of life and dispel the unbelief and the darkness there. May it quicken predestinated seeds to life. May it take grandchildren of this message and make them real sons and daughters of God. May it put a power and a drive and a, and a desire in our hearts to serve God with a fervency that says, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Are you ready to serve him today? Amen. It shall be light in the evening time. I'm holding before me today a little booklet. I can't read it. It's in another language. It's in the language, the Spanish language. Our brother David Dexter and, and uh, his associates that he's got to help uh, from down in the, from the Danny Stevens churches have translated the five covenants of Elijah. This is going to be made available because we're seeing more and more of the Spanish people in our area. And I want to say to those that are listening in, we'll make this available on our website where you can print it. Amen. Where you can, you can enjoy the, the benefits of it as, as well. Share the light. We got light in this evening time. Amen. Evening light is shining. We got more to conquer. We got more to do. We got a job to finish. We're the finishing race. The light has come. We got a great revelation. God and Christ are one. We got more than that. We come beyond baptism in Jesus' name. We come to the opening of the seven seals. We come into the land completely. We want to see the Messiah. We want God to speak. We want him to be real in our midst. We want him to move in the power of his resurrection. How many is ready for God to move today? Amen. God, God's moving. Amen. He's moving around the world. He's got a bride as we were in Canada this weekend to see the mighty things that the Lord did and the pouring out of his spirit and one more time seeing the miraculous done in that congregation. Oh, church, we got a work to do in this evening time. 
evening time. The last rays are shining. The last seed are being found. Let's rejoice in it. But let's do more than rejoice. Amen. Let us press with everything we got in us. Put our whole heart into it. Serving God with everything within us. Amen. Being a light to this generation. Such a light that when the darkness of sickness comes, it's dispelled by the Holy Ghost. So real among us. Amen. That there are the words of God spoke. Amen. That there's a supernatural being done. As we end the, the end time, we see the fulfilling of Scripture. Living in the day, but this is a fact: the evening light has come. It's come with grace, double grace, capstone. God finishing off His church. Now let's move into it with all our hearts, with all our lives. Now, well, it shall be light in the evening time. The path to glory you shall serve. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 5.
We're going to read from verse 1 this morning, Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1, down through about the ninth verse. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Appreciate your prayers. The Lord was with us. His grace was upon us. And we had our difficulties along the way, but the Lord was there. Amen. Always there for us. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, and neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Hallelujah. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. And this is the cause that why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of, the, of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came out forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children, whom he had raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised. Because they had not been circumcised, they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they were done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places, in, their, in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. The rolling away of the reproach of Egypt. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to be speaking today on the new birth of Malachi 4. When I was speaking here a couple of Sundays ago, we dealt, and I just want to remind you of it, we dealt with um, what caused Jacob's sons to go down to Egypt in the first dispersal. You know, sometimes you wonder why that people left the land. We are having a return in this last day, but why is it that the church hasn't always abided in the promises of God and in the fullness of his word. But we find with Jacob's sons that they left the land of promise because of the jealousy of a brother. They didn't think they would ever need the supernatural. They didn't think they would ever need this dreamer, Joseph, who had these spiritual dreams and 
and um, uh, words from God. And they, they were sure, they were really sure they wouldn't need that. And Brother Branham would tell us this in the third Exodus. He said, that's the question of today also. God gave us a Pentecost. He gave us the book of Acts. He gave us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. He gave us the land. And why are we out of it? Why is the church out of it? Why isn't the great Christian church today living again like the book of Acts, bringing forth the same thing? There's some reason for it. So, you know, we, as he would go on to tell us in the second seal, um, you know, that uh, about how that this happened and the Nicolaitan spirit came in, and I want to cover that here in just a moment. But as we know, the Antichrist spirit, it attacked the early church. But when it came, it looked very harmless. In fact, the sons of Jacob, when they went down into Egypt initially, they were treated very well, and they were given Goshen, uh, which was the best of the land. They were given initially refugee status um, there in, um, in Egypt as they were being protected and fed during the, the famine. And then, and then from there, they were it turned into where they become political prisoners and forbidden to, um, to enjoy and benefit from the Egyptian hospitality. And Israeli status went from being guests to hostages to captives to slaves and finally to outcasts. And the Pharaoh would strip the Israelis of anything and everything that gave them significance and meaning. And so even some historians would, would say the Pharaoh would not permit Israel, Israelis to cook or eat their customary foods or to speak their language, or to wear their clothes, or to dance or play their music. Some historians tell us that the Israelis were forced down in Egypt to change their customs and even change their stories about um, Adam and Noah and Job and the other patriarchs to reflect the sensitivity of the Egyptian people. Every reference of God would be changed from Jehovah to speak of Ra, the light, and, and the Pharaoh who was understand to, understood to be Ra's um, living begotten son. And so the Israelis now under Moses would actually have to relearn the message of Jehovah. Much like we have had to do in the past 50 years where that we have had to relearn many things that we were taught wrong during the dispersal. Amen. And so, you know, their, their hearts had been turned away from Jehovah and his truth had been long forgotten and his power was unknown. The power of this Jehovah that was able to, by a spoken word, bring a, a ram into existence or bring a woman 90 years old or, uh, and make her fruitful and and young again, and Abraham, a hundred years old, it would make him fruitful and young again, and bring a promised son by the supernatural. They had long forgot that God. It would take a reacquaintance where that God would have to show his mighty works time upon time upon time upon time again to prove I am the mighty Jehovah. Amen. I am he that was and which is and shall come. 
I am he that, that uh, as he would say to, uh, to Moses, I am that I am. I'm the present God, in other words. And so you see, even so, that with the return to the land of promise, we also had been enslaved by the Nicolaitan spirit that it went forth in the early age to conquer. And the spirit is identified as an as a Antichrist spirit and, and described by Brother Branham as he tells how the early church was conquered and then taken into bondage. The ones who received the Holy Ghost um, on the day of Pentecost, they were a, a people that were ignorant and unlearned. They were not rich and famous. They were not like what is portrayed of the Pentecostals today with their glitzy stage and their, their vast wealth and showing the movie stars who have also accepted uh, some manners of Pentecost. But no, the, they, were, they were not rich and educated and high and mighty. They were perceived to be ignorant and unlearned. But the one thing they recognized about them, they had been with Jesus. That the same power that was with Jesus was also with them. These underclass and uneducated people began to testify about what the Lord had done. They began to see the witness of the man that sat at the gate called Beautiful, who was lame from, uh, from youth and now would leap and walk again and was made whole in the power of the name of Jesus. They would see that the name of Jesus now had power to cast out devils and to heal the sick and deliver those that were in need and cause them to be supernaturally changed. And not just changed, but charged with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And, and yet this, this began to attract you know, their masters and those of wealth and fame because of the changed lives and the miracles. It attracted um, the, the rich people. And, and the, you know, as I, as I would tell you, the early Christian did, didn't have a beautiful temple to worship in with ornate paintings and external beauty. They met in little old dark dingy halls and sometimes caves, but they had the joy of the Lord. They were clapping their hands and shouting with ecstasy and speaking in other tongues and prophesying. Well, the wealthy dignitaries could not present this to their contemporaries. So they had to dress it up and refine it to make it palatable to his associates. And so Brother Branham said that the Nicolaitan age asked to get away from those bunch of people that shouts, that claps their hands, that look disgracefully like they did on the day of Pentecost and act like drunk men staggering in the spirit and things. They didn't want none of that stuff. They said they were drunk. So as the dignitaries were welcomed into the, into the church, Brother Branham said they couldn't stoop to that. They couldn't humble themselves down and become, you know, become one with that bunch of ignorant there that would get so excited about the Word of God and the Holy Ghost would move upon them and they would stagger like a drunk man and move there by the Holy Ghost speaking in other languages. They didn't want any of that. So you see, it began to conquer the church. The Nicolaitan spirit began to disperse her, the church, into Catholicism and into denominational bondage. 
And like Egypt did with the Israeli, Rome changed their diet. Somebody hear me now? And turned the truth of God into a lie. And under denominational bondage, the true church would lose its identity as God's chosen people. And uh, chosen by predestination. And would be reduced there to uh, where God would be replaced the name of God would be replaced with titles of a triune God. And it would replace the name of Jesus Christ in water baptism. And the story of Genesis would be reduced to a fairy tale of a talking snake and a magic apple. Amen. The Bible itself would be taken from the people. Can you imagine? Paul wrote letters. Peter wrote letters. The gospel was recorded by Mark and Matthew, James, uh, you know, John, all of the scriptures, you know, that would be written to the saints. And the word that was written to the church would be confiscated and held only by the priest of Rome. This was a condition. This is the dispersal. This is a condition that we found ourselves in. And as the church began to struggle to come back to the land of promise, it would be through years and years and years of struggle trying to throw off the chains of Rome. Amen. But I, I'm telling you that you can look in the book of Revelation chapter 10. You can see the mighty angel with his foot upon the sea. Is that right? That's where the beast rose out of multitudes, nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. Amen. And by the Holy Ghost, God has put your foot, his church, upon, upon the doctrines of Rome and the sins of the past. And God has given us victory over them. And he also gave us victory over the American spirit and over Hollywood and returned us back to holiness again. We're talking about a great thing our Lord has done in our generation. I'll tell you, it's evening light. It's evening time. The dismal day is over with. The confusion of the past is finished. We come back to the brightness of his coming. Where his face shines as it were the sun. And Pentecost is where we're supposed to be. We're to be back to Paul's gospel again. But I want you to know that we're not simply going to Pentecost and stand on its edges shouting. But we, we are not simply just going and standing within the borders, just standing on the edge of the promised land. It's not good enough. But there, there was Jericho that had to be conquered. And Jericho stood in the path and the sealed walls must come down. Amen. The seven seals on the book had to be opened. Are you with me? That would give us the entrance back into the land again. But I want you to understand this. Before you can conquer the land and before that we can conquer the land as a people, the uncircumcised cannot inherit this land. The reproach of Egypt must be rolled away. There must come a time where there is no more of Egypt 
changing our lives, changing our thinking, changing our behavior. Now, the circumcision, the uncircumcised cannot inherit. Brother Branham would tell us, and I want you to get this real close, and I want you to understand, you know, this is not a message just to young people, but it's a message to all of us. There is a vast difference, Brother Branham would tell us, a vast difference between a Christian and a Holy Ghost-filled Christian. He said, the first thing, there is a Christian that is professed to be a Christian. But if this Christian has not been filled with the Holy Ghost, he's only in the process of being in the uh, Christian. In other words, he's on the journey heading toward the promised land. He's never entered in. He's professed to believe it. He's working to it. But God has not yet given him this spirit of the Holy Ghost. He's not reached that goal that God has recognized his faith. And that's the thing. You believed on the Lord. But that's only, that's only leaving Egypt. And many of them that leaves Egypt are still lusting for what they had back there. They're still desiring, you know, still longing for what they, you know, still dabbling a little with the world, you know, still reaching back into its, its vulgar pornography or into its sins or being pulled away one way or the other. You see, a, the Christian who has simply believed on the Lord is not yet in the land. He's on the journey. But many have died along in the wilderness before completing the journey. They got discouraged because of the way. And these that are not in the promised land will never see the Messiah. Remember, you've got to be in the promised land to see the Messiah. Uh, Amen. You see, only those in the land will see him. Only those in the land will go in the great rapture. And your inheritance is on the other side of Jordan. And I just want to tell you, if you're on the journey today and you believed on the Lord, you've been baptized in his name, and even you've done works of sanctification, you're still in the journey. You're not in the land. Amen. The land is where that, when you come into the land, you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost in order to enjoy its power, in order to stay there in the land. You've got to be a circumcised people. The world has got to be cut off. The unbelief has got to go. Now, but you know, there are those who will never cross over. They'll always have the reproach of Egypt upon them. But I don't know. If I were you and I would hear those words today, I wouldn't sink back down in despair and say, oh, no, I'm probably one of them. If I were you, I would look the other different way at that. And I say, I may not be there, but I'm taking another step toward it. I may not have achieved it yet, but I'll tell you, I'm not giving up until I do. Amen. I'm going to keep knocking and asking and seeking. Amen. Until it's open to me, I'm going to receive that great divine promise. I want the night for the Holy Spirit to come down today and cut the world off and cut sin off. Give me a sign within my flesh that I'm a changed man, changed woman. 
Genesis 17, verse 13. I'll share with you this scripture. Because this is, remember, all of this was in types. It speaks spiritually of something, and circumcision speaks of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He that is born in thy house, he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. You know, once, you're, once the sign is there, it can't ever be taken off. Once you get the seal, you never lose it. You're identified with him forever that you belong to him. Come on now. Amen. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So now not only does God have a reward of inheritance for those who have received his covenant, but for those who break his covenant by not receiving the circumcision, he has cut off. So you are left with a choice today. Either cut off your flesh or cut off your soul. No two way, no middle ground. Either cut off the flesh or cut off your soul. Now, you see, it isn't, it is never me, it's never people that will ever disclude you. It is you that discludes yourself. It is you that always know that way down secretly on the inside, there's never been a change. It is you that will know that, you know, that, uh, that because of the works of your flesh always manifesting itself in sinful ways, you know then that there's something needs doing, that needs to happen on the inside. Now, this is not without hope today because the message of Malachi 4 comes with a new birth. We're going to be speaking about that today as it is. Now, Brother Branham would, would be talking about this, and he said God made a covenant with Abraham after he called Abraham, which is a type of calling the believer today. And you've been called. Every one of you have been called. Everyone in this building can all say, I've been called. And when God has called you, God chose you to be able to hear this message. Well, Brother Tim, I was just accidentally born in this. This is not accidentally. And when God predestinated you an opportunity, knowing you would come in, knowing what field you would come in and been preparing your coming for many, many years for the very part that he could call you. Amen. But you see, he called Abraham, and Abraham moved out of his country and went into a strange land to dwell among a strange people. And he said that was a type when God calls a man to stop his meanness and repent of his sins. He turns in from the crowd he was in to live in a new crowd among new types of people. And then after God found Abraham to be faithful to the promise that God gave him that he would have a child and to that child of the earth would be blessed, then God confirmed his faith by giving him a sign, and that sign was circumcision. And circumcision is a type of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Ghost is a sign then 
that God has received or recognized, confirmed your faith. It is the circumcision, the cutting off of the flesh and its works and his deeds. And Brother Branham would tell us, and what is the Holy Ghost? The circumcision is a type of the Holy Ghost. And God gave Abraham the circumcision sign after he accepted God on his promise and walked out into a strange country. It was a sign, and all his children and his seed after him should have this sign in their flesh. You see, it ain't good enough for your granddaddy to have it. It ain't good enough for your mom and daddy to got it. Amen. But every one of you right down to the little children must also receive this sign of circumcision. It doesn't matter how much they believe the message and how much God recognized them and how much you saw God was with them. You've got to have God in your own life. Cutting away the world and cutting away sin. Amen. As he would say, all his children and his seed after him should have this sign in their flesh because it was a distinction. It was to separate them from all other people, this sign of circumcision. And that's what God uses today. It's a sign of the heart, of the sign of the circumcision of the heart, the Holy Spirit, that makes God's church a separated church from all other creeds and faith and denominations. Amen. Brother Branham would go on to say, you can let me talk to a man two minutes and I'll tell you whether he's got to receive the Holy Ghost or not. So can you. It separates them. It is a mark. It is a sign. And the Holy Spirit is its sign. And, the, and a child that refused circumcision in the Old Testament, which was a foreshadow of the Holy Ghost, was cut off from among the people. He could not have fellowship with the rest of the congregation if he refused to be circumcised. Now that's the pattern today. He said that a person that would re refuse to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost can have no fellowship among those that has the Holy Ghost. You just can't do it. You have to be a nature. Amen. You have to be a nature. My mother used to say, birds of a feather flock together. Well, it's an old proverb, but it's a true one. You don't see doves and crows fellowshipping. Their dikes are different. Their habits are different. Their desires are different. And that's the way it is with the world and with the Christian when you have been circumcised by the Holy Spirit, which means to cut off flesh. That's what you want to look at today. Has the flesh been cut off? Has the desires of sin been removed? Amen. Have you been circumcised by the Holy Spirit where your desires are different? In the token message, it was a Bible scholar said to Brother Branham, he said, but Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. What, what could a man do more than believe? And Brother Branham said, that's true, doctor. It's right. He did believe God. The Bible said, so you're right. As far as you come, you're correct. As long as the 12 spies that were sent out to spy out the land of Canaan, as long as they went forward toward Canaan's, they were gaining ground. But when they come to the borderline, then they rejected it. And you Baptists are all right as far as you come. They had believed on the Lord. He said, but have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? 
Amen. I said, remember, God recognized Abraham's faith. He believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. That is true. But then God gave him the seal of circumcision as a sign to him. Not that, not, uh, not that his flesh circumcised has anything to do with his soul, but it was a sign that, he, that God had recognized his faith. And he gives us a sign of the Holy Ghost that he has recognized us as believers. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you. Amen. It's evening time light. You see, the Holy Ghost is a sign that God has accepted your faith. You say, I believe on Christ and accept him as my Savior. Well, then you still need God to come back and give a witness. Amen. Cut off the flesh. Give a sign in your inner being. Amen. In your hidden parts that that, that there's a change that has taken place. The flesh has been cut off and you're a son or daughter of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. But I want to just say, it's amazing, yet it's sad to see how close some get to the promised land, and yet so far from it. You know, I get amazed sometimes how deceptive the spirit is in this end time. Get you right down to believing in the same prophet, same water baptism, same, same doctrines. And yet, so far apart, you can't even worship in the same building. It's amazing how some get so close to the promised land. Azusa Street come right to the edge of it. They were the Pentecostal move. They called itself by that name because they spoke in tongues. They were not the Pentecostals of Acts chapter 2. They were, they, they were still on the edge. They were, they were closer than, than the Lutherans was with justification or the Wesleyans was with sanctification. They'd taken a step closer, but they still wasn't there. And they come right to the edge and would refuse to go into the land. They re- would refuse to march around Jericho. They would refuse to see the seals tore down, the seal walls to come down and open up the whole inheritance. They would rather camp on the other side of Jordan, looking in, shouting and rejoicing of the great things that are in the land and even tasting some of the fruits like they did at Kadesh Barnea, but refuse to go on and inherit the land. And it's amazing. They came so close. They came so close they got the emotion of it. They even tasted the gifts of it. But they didn't go on to take down the sealed walls of Jericho. They couldn't open, they couldn't see the whole land open to them. They would stand there, and I, I just think about how many of those that have intellectually embraced the truth of the message but have never received. The Holy Ghost. They know nothing of its power. They know nothing of its cleansing work. 
You know, they're there again. They, they chafe against everything that is holiness of a right living. And they walk on the edge and see how close they can. And they're still longing to be down in Egypt. But why did you ever bring us? Why can't we just be like the rest of them? Why can't we go to a church, you know, where holiness is not preached and, you know, it's not expected of our men or our women, where, where that, you know, where we can walk on the edge of things. You know, you can just live a, 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 a Laodicea relaxed life rather than conquering this land, facing your giants and overcoming and taking your mountains. Are you with me, church? Amen. Yeah, I, I know it's easier to sit back there and, and, and long for Egypt than it is to take a sword, march into that land and say, every promise is mine. Amen. It's easier for churches to sit back and intellectually receive a message rather than move in the supernatural and know a supernatural God and his power and pray until heaven comes down and where demons are cast out and where the Holy Ghost is moving by the power of the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, yeah, it's easier just to sit back in your doldrums and rest on your laurels and say, we got Moses for a prophet. In the token message, Brother Branham would tell us, don't just come this far and say, I believe the message. And that's as far as many has come. They've come this far. They embrace its concepts. It makes good sense. It's a great word. I believe the message. You obey the messenger. Come into Christ. That's what the messenger says. Come into Christ. Get into the land. The land is the Holy Ghost. Get into the Holy Ghost. Amen. You say, well, I believe every word you said, Brother Branham. That's good. But that's just being able to read. This is what he said. Amen. Believing every word he said is only being able to read. There's many that sympathize with it and say, yeah, it's right. It's the closest I know to the truth. This is not the closest thing I know to the truth. This is the truth. Amen. Amen. You, you said, take the message. Take it in your heart. You must have the token. The token is the sign. The, the circumcision was a sign. Amen. You must have the token. The very life that was in Christ was in Christ being you. When I see that, I'll pass over you. And that's what, that's what God's looking for today is his life replicated. Amen. Repeated again in sons and daughters of God. Somebody help me. Amen. Then you, but, you know, even, even though there's some, you know, uh, that truly they, uh, they've had a emotional experiences. Well, listen, I had a Baptist lady tell me one day that, you know, we had uh, what's called lay renewal in our church. And said, there she was, an older lady there, you know, with her short hair and ear bobs and pants on and paint and everything else. And she was telling me all, all excited. She was emotional. 
Said we got down the altar and our lay renewal and we gave our lives back over to Christ again. We had a renewal. And she had all the emotion that went with it. There are others that even speak in tongues. And Brother Branham said, don't you rely on no speaking in tongues. No nothing else. But let the token itself be there. The person of Jesus Christ. His own life in you. Circumcise not just this and that. But circumcise your whole being. Until you and Christ are one. Christ is in you. And his life lives itself out through you. Amen. Now that 430 years of bondage down in Egypt had brought a reproach upon Abraham's descendants in the eyes of the world. And it brought a great reproach. This reproach had done untold damage to their spirit and to their thinking. In Egypt, they had been humiliated and shunned to the point that they thought that slavery was a natural way of life. They had a slave mentality. And I want you to stop a minute. Let me pause on this thought just a moment because this is where a lot of people stand today. They look at things in their lives and said, you know, we can't overcome this. This is just things that people live with and people go through. And my parents or my grandparents have dealt with this situation or or this habit or this temper or this passion or this sex drive or this or that all, all, all through their days. And they're just something you just have to live with. And that becomes a slave mentality. You know, others will go and say, well, this is as far as my mama went. And I ain't going to go no further than mama went. Others will say, well, this is as far as granddaddy could go. And, I, you know, this is good enough for him. But let me tell you, church, has got to be more than that. We've got to look and say, the land is before us. Every promise in the book is mine. And God called me to be an overcomer. He called me to rise up above sin and unbelief and to stand for righteousness in my generation, having the power of God, not by self-will, but the power of God under deliverance, salvation. But you know, many have the slave mentality. They deny the power. The Bible said they would have in the last day a form of godliness. In other words, they would, you know have a name of being a Christian, name of being a believer. But they would deny the power. They would deny the power thereof, the power to break the cycles of sin. Now, and with many, it's replaced with a law of do's and don'ts. And, and we're always getting trouble with the law. We're always, we're always, you know, coming under condemnation. We can't walk in victory. Having a slave mentality. These people would often plead with Moses in the wilderness to be allowed to go back into bondage. Rather than suffer the wilderness experience and 
die out to sin. The reproach of the world sought to draw them back into slavery. And you would see this with so many of them along the journey. And it is so with many today. They insist it's impossible to live a life of victory. Even preachers will tell them that their flesh can overcome them. That it's really not their fault that they can't overcome because of their flesh or because they were abused and thus they are raised in a certain environment and, and so they are thus codependent. That their own sins and moral failures are really the fault of their upbringing or their environment. And I just want to just clarify something while we're there. Where, wherever you're at is not your mama's fault. Not your daddy's fault. Amen. It's not your grandparents' fault. Amen. But the reason you're at where you're at is because you have never accepted the circumcision of the Holy Ghost that will cut sin out of your life. So you continue making excuses. For why you are the way you are, rather than coming face to the face, I need the sharp knife of the Holy Ghost to cut this thing out of my life. These constantly yearn for Egypt's movies, for the idols of Hollywood. They lust again to worship Egypt's gods of sports or alcohol. They're tempted to go uh, again and again to go back, and many of them do. do. They'll do good for a while only to start drifting again. They'll get uh, revived for a little bit, get a lay renewal, and go right back into the same old rut. And even to the point, like the Pentecostal movement, the majority of them look like Egyptians. They paint their face like Egyptian women. They wear the clothes of the Egyptians. They've lost the distinction that comes by being a peculiar people. Now, you know, I, I do know that there are some of the holiness people among the Pentecostals, but the vast majority of the Azusa Street movement are not holiness people. Amen. The, the vast majority of them today are more worldly as worldly can be. In fact, the matter is, um, you know, when, uh, as we were singing this song, I just, uh, I just actually went back and, and just looked at, because I was trying to find the author of the song which is G.T. Haywood, found that he was one of the bishops, the early bishops that started the, the, the Pentecostal of, of Assemblies uh, organization, and they organized on the Oneness Doctrine, and he was the, the first bishop of it. And, and there, there he, he, they would write songs of what God was doing in their movement. Now listen, church, this was a move of God. But they didn't go on. They didn't go far enough. Amen. And I, and I watched her. I watched her. I went on there. there. Another, supposed to be, that was his pastors. So I go to his website. What are they like? And they're not even nearly like what they were. And their messages doesn't have anything but right back again, Acts 2 and 4 and Acts 2, 38. And, and, and it's, they went no further than that. 
And they're holding forth the name. But it's just a sermon. It's just become a slogan. The life is gone. The power of it is gone. The zeal of it is gone. And as I watch some of them sing there with their, with their, with their shirt dresses, they, they got the emotion of it and their, their tight clothes and their ear bobs and their painted faces. And yet they're singing a chubby light in the evening time. Buried in the precious name of Jesus. What happened? They went up and tasted, but never went on in the land. They got a taste like them at Kadesh Barnea and said, the land is good, but we can't take it. And they go right back into Egypt again, went right back into bondage. And they, every one of them got little Egypts, little, little camps where that they've stopped along the way. But I don't know how you feel about it this morning, but in my own heart, I say, let's don't stop. Amen. Let's don't stop. I mean, yeah, the, the, we are in the land. The seals have been opened and the whole land is before us. But let's don't rest until the Messiah comes. Let's don't stop until it brings back Jesus Christ to the earth. Uniting a bride, a bride that's got a ministry just like his. That ought to be our cry this morning. But even Brother Branham would tell us, and how can I overcome? He said, we sometimes are tempted to go back. Many of you tempted to go back to denomination. Go back and take up, because the world say, what denomination you belong to? What church are you associated, affiliated with? We are tempted to do that. All of us, our sisters, are tempted to go back. Go back and join up with some of the rest of the churches, some of the assemblies or churches of God or some of them still be Pentecostal. Let your hair cut off. Um, Dress just about any way you want to. See, you're tempted to do that, to go back and be popular with this wicked generation we're living with. When this is a major sin of our days, it's the major sin among our people. Worldliness, as the Bible said, the Laodicean age was. She's worldly, rich, have need of nothing, don't know that she's naked and miserable, wretch and blind, and that's the sin of our day. When you hear the true word of God call out against it, then you take the other route and you're unpopular with the world, but you're tempted to go back. Brother Brandon said, I know. Now listen to him. I know. You keep saying to me, I know you're saying all, saying all the time. I know you get tired of me harping on these things. And he says, I get tired of seeing you do it too. That's about right. This sin that I'm trying to tell you about. Say, what are you harping on it for? Stop doing it then. I'm trying to save your life by the word. I get tired also. So just straighten up. This is a sin. Shouldn't be done. Amen. We are we're, to overcome these things. We're to, we expect to be tempted by them, the world. You love the world and the things of the world. Love of God is not in you, said Jesus. I just wondered this morning, what do we think? What kind of a church do you think we're supposed to be? 
When we, when we hear Brother Branham tell us in the Sardisian church age, he said if the church is the true church, it will have the very same spirit and word and acts of power that they had at Pentecost. By experience, it will be a Pentecostal church. And there will be tongues and interpretation and prophecies and healings. And God will be in the midst of her. And God will declare himself in the midst of her as he always has. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's the kind of church we're supposed to be. That ought to be the goal for evening light tabernacle today. God, make us that kind of a church. And not, not a bunch of people that have just joined the movement that agree together on a few doctrines. And we got, well, got some doctrines we agree on. And so therefore, because of doctrines, we're birds of a feather that flocks together. But God, give us the same Holy Spirit. Amen. With the power of God and the salvation. Now, we have come to the land. Canaan, it was called. He would tell Abraham, I give you the land of Canaan. It's not the millennium. So it's not something still in the distant future. But it represents the age of the overcomer. It's where we fight to possess every divine promise. Amen. It's the dispensation of overcoming. Brother Branham tells us because in Canaan they killed and burned and took city. There'll be no death in the millennium. So he said, K-type the millennium is right now. It's right now. And every one of us have been left some overcoming to do. Some of you are fighting a battle in your health. Some of you are fighting battles otherwise. I don't care where it is, but you're in a battle. Every enemy has, has come to come against you to try to keep you from this promised land. But he said, notice another thing it does it brings up justification by faith after the belief Moses and left Egypt sanctification through the fallen under the pillar of fire and the atonement of the sacrificial lamb in the wilderness and then entering into a land that had been promised. And he said, now what is the land promised to the New Testament believer? The promise is the Holy Spirit. For it shall come to pass in the last day, Joel 2.28, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy upon my handsmaiden, my maidservants. Will eyes pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I saw wonders in the heavens above, and, and on the earth pillars of fire, and smoke and vapor. And Peter said on the day of Pentecost, after his text, repent every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sin, to remit, to forgive, to take away all back trespasses. And he said, now you want to know how to get in Christ Jesus? You want to know how to get in the land? Then he quotes 1 Corinthians 12, by one spirit, we're all baptized into that land, into one body by the Holy Ghost. Not by water baptism. That's a mistake a lot of people make. They think because they got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, they're in the land. That, that, that accepts you in the fellowship of believers, but that don't accept you in the fellowship of Christ. Amen. But by one spirit, 
We are all baptized into one body. Our possessions, the land that God gave us to live in, the Holy Ghost, just as he gave Canaan to the Jews, he gave us the Holy Spirit. So now we know what our land is. It's the Holy Ghost. It's love, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's the power of God in the Holy Ghost. It is everything that the Holy Ghost affords and has. It's all the mysteries of the Word laying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. You got to be baptized into it by Holy Spirit baptism. It don't come by teaching. In fact, of the matter is, in fact, of the matter is, let me tell you, when He comes, the teaching is over. You didn't get that, did you? When He comes, the teaching is over. Man's teaching is over. No, no man will have to now teach you how to live and do and teach you how to walk and talk and teach you how to treat other people right or how to dress. No man will have to teach you. It'll be an inside teacher. Amen. It'll be the Holy Ghost leading and guiding you into all truth, directing you. Amen. It won't be somebody giving you a bunch of rules and regulations. You say, well, Brother Tim, why do you preach them? Well, the reason we preach law, law includes how you dress and the makeup you're wearing and, and, and you, do, you, know, you, you don't do this and you don't do that and you come to church and you pay your tithes and you, all these do's and don'ts. The reason we're, we have to preach those things is because you don't have the inside teacher yet that would teach you to do it. So it's all external. And you're living under law and not under grace. Because once you come under the favor of God, once you get the Holy Ghost, it lives automatically out of you. Nobody has to tell you to pray. Nobody has to tell you to read your Bible. Nobody has to tell you to get into the Word of God and listen to the tapes. Nobody has to tell you to come to church. Nobody has to tell you how to dress anymore. The inside teacher will convict you of sin. When he comes, he will convict you of sin and will lead you into all truths. Now, but now he's talking about them that are in Christ Jesus. Brother Bradham reads Ephesians 1, those that are in Christ Jesus. He says he's talking now to the spiritual Canaanite. The spiritual Israel who has possessed the land. Aren't you glad that you came out of Egypt's garlic? Amen. Aren't you glad you're out of the wilderness? And remember, they had manna to eat. Angels food out of heaven until they crossed over. When they crossed over in the land, the manna ceased to fall. They were fully matured then. They could eat the old corn of the land. And I want you to know in this land... We're eating the corn that Paul had. Amen. We've got the corn of predestination. The corn of the original sin. The corn of white water baptism. The corn of the oneness of the Godhead. Amen. We have the the old corn of the land. What Paul preached, we got. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you don't have to be babied and patted to come to church? Aren't you glad there's a drive on the inside of you? Amen. That you you can eat the strong meat of the word. 
Aren't you glad you've over, come over into Canaan? That you left Egypt long behind? That you received the promise of the Holy Ghost? I say to you, aren't you glad you're in the land? How many glad to be in the land today? Amen. Now, so how do we get into him? By joining church? By being baptized in water? Immersed? By one Holy Spirit, we're baptized in that promise. And Brother Branham said, when I get in this land, it's mine. I'm home now. And that's where you can only feel at home is in the Holy Ghost. Amen. He said, now I'm subject to anything God wants to use me for. I'm walking on holy ground. I'm a child of the king. I'm all robed and ready. I've come out of Egypt, come to the promised land, stood the, the trials, passed over Jordan into this blessed promise. How did I get it? By one spirit. The same way Paul got it, acted the same way on me as it did on him, the same way it did on you. By one spirit, we're all baptized. And he said, it's not a sprinkle. Amen. Well, you feel pretty good, but you're immersed under and being made to swim under the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'm glad to say, friends, we're not here where the water is just ankle deep or just knee deep, but we're here where there's waters of swimming. There's a place you can be immersed in the Holy Ghost. Amen. But a man outside of Canaan don't know anything about it. He's still wandering, not saying he ain't a good person. You know, not saying the man down in Egypt's not a good person, but he's not coming to this possession. The promise that was given to the church, and I'm quoting Brother Branham, is not a natural land, but a spiritual land, for we are royal priesthood, a holy nation. Then in this royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people called out, elected, chosen, set aside. And then all the world is dead on the inside and we're led by the Spirit. Sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God, not by man, but by the Spirit. Now, let me just say, somebody is going to inherit the whole land. Amen. We've already been seen in the vision. An Omega church that is just like the original church. Amen. Every, every one of us today ought to be doing our part to take another step and to get in step. Come on. With the, with the rhythm of the word and walk in that word. Are you with me now? Notice he said, she is to be the same bride. The same kind, built out of the same material that she was in the first place. And he said, now read Malachi 4 and see if that isn't true. That uh, to have a message, that we're not supposed to have a message in the last day. That to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. I'm going to ask you, you say, I'm in the message. Now, what I want to know is your heart been turned. Is it turned your heart? As it turned it away from the world, and as it turned you back to God again, as it turned you back to the precepts of the word, if it hadn't, Malachi 4 has had no effect on you. I mean, you may have heard the messages, but you've, and maybe you've danced to the tune that the piper piped, but you have never come in contact with the Almighty God who will change your life and turn your heart. 
This message has to do a work. It is not a collector's meeting. It's not a meeting where we, where we wear our little Baptist Jesus first lapel pin that look like a weed in, a, in the message group, you know, where we identify ourselves as in the message. And we walk around, brother, I want something more than a lapel pin. Amen, that identifies me in this message. I want the Holy Ghost to identify itself and its people. Hallelujah. Amen, I want to see more than an impersonation where we can pretend to be Bill, but I want to be more than Bill. I want to be Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Of course, this is not, let me repeat, this is not the repeat of Azusa Street. This is not the message of Azusa Street. Brother Branham said himself, if I came with the message of Pentecost, I'd be in the Laodicean church age and it wouldn't be right. That's the reason Wesley could not take Luther's message. Luther was in one age in church age and Wesley was in another church age. If Jesus would have come with the message of Moses, it wouldn't have worked. If Moses would have come with the message of Noah, it wouldn't have worked. But here what Brother Branham is not saying, he was not saying that he did not come with the original Pentecostal message, but that if he came with the Azusa message, he would be a part of the Laodicean Christ rejectors. Because he tells us over and over and over again in the Feast of the Trumpets where I just read from that, that the promise Elijah would restore us back to the original Pentecost. And that's something Azusa Street didn't do. And they can't do it. Why, they've been trying the last hundred years just to reproduce Azusa Street. They've had the Florida shouting meetings. They've had the Kansas shouting meetings. They've had all these other meetings, but they can't even reproduce Azusa Street. Now, Brother Branham would tell us in, in this Feast of the Trumpet where he just said that if I came with the message of Pentecost, I'd be in the Laodicean church age. He would tell us four paragraphs before. He said that during the time of the Reformations, there come in the Reformers, as the seventh seal proved it was, but in the last days now, it's supposed to be revealed again because we find in the scripture in Malachi 4, there has to be an anointing come down and restore again that original faith and bring the faith of the people back to the original Pentecost, the faith of the fathers. And I say, if Azusa Street did that, we had no need of Elijah. But it didn't say Azusa Street would do it, it said Elijah would turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the Father. It takes this message to bring you into the true Pentecost. Nothing else will do it. Amen. It's only this message that brings you into the land where we'll see the rapture, where the Messiah will come. Is everybody with me now? All right. So Brother Branham would tell us, furthermore, he continues to emphasize this during that whole sermon of the Feast of the Trumpets. He says, now Malachi 4, we see here that's supposed to be done, restore what? 
the faith of the people back to the original fathers, the Pentecostal doctrine, the original fathers, and he will restore the people back to their fathers. So I don't know. I don't know where, where, where we've been taken to in a lot of these camps. But the real message is going to bring everybody back to Pentecost again. Feast of the trumpet. Again, he said, between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, there is a prophet to appear before the Gentile to call the people back to the original Pentecostal doctrine. So we have been called not only back to the upper room. Come on now. But we've been called back to the original Pentecostal doctrine. And it would take the Apostle Paul to bring the original Pentecostal doctrine. So we come back not just to jumping and shouting and speaking in tongues. We've come back long, way beyond that, into Paul's gospel. Amen. Where we can preach and have the predestination that Paul had. Amen. The original sin that he preached. The baptism in Jesus' name that he proclaimed. The oneness of the Godhead that Paul preached. I know in this message, you know, the devil couldn't get them on the Trinity, but he crossed their eyes and they're standing like a bunch of, you know, double-eyed people there that can't see. Now they make two lords out of one lord. There's nowhere that Brother Branham ever preached two lords. Nowhere in the Bible is there two lords. Amen. But you see, it's part of the camps that want to take people back into bondage again. But he said there will come a messenger in the last day that will guide the people back to the first fruit, back to the original faith. Granted, Lord, that this great messenger among us now, the great Christ, the Holy Spirit, may vivid, may understand and opening up the word and revealing it to us, may he guide them back to the original Pentecostal faith. Like Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And it was forever that way to every person until the church, the Roman church at Nicaea, that took away from them their spiritual diet. Now let me tell you, this Holy Ghost we're talking about is not an intellectual learning. It isn't something that you get even from study. It is an experience with the Almighty. Amen. Now, you know, it's not a certain experience because Azusa Street would try to say, it's just tongues. And that's its initial evidence. And the Wesleyans would say, well, it's shouting. And that's its initial evidence. And the Lutherans with the Baptists would say, it's just believing. And if you believe, that's its initial evidence. But yet, even though it is not a certain experience of a jump or a shout or a dance or or, or a, a, a strong belief or this or that. You know, it may be all of them. Maybe none of them. Except a real belief, you're going to have belief. But you cannot, listen, Brother Branham, 
You cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost without having experience when it happens. Now, I know there are those that are teaching around, well, you know, today we get the Holy Ghost without sensation. It is an experience when it happens. And a sensation is a feeling. Something happens. I don't care what happens. Some cry, some dance, some shout, some uh, sit there and can't hardly move. I don't know. I don't know how God will respond with you. He'll work with you according to your nature. But I'll tell you, you're going to get up from there a changed person. You won't be the same anymore. The flesh will be cut off. The world will be gone. The desires for it will be gone. Brother Bradham would say, you cannot. This is 1964. Question answers. You cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost without having experience when it happens. Oh, but Brother Tim, we're like Mary. Mary got the Holy Ghost and, and, and without sensation. And, and, and no, when that came and there was no sensation, Mary was getting pregnant. And she received the word, the pregnancy, without a sensation. Right? Without a human sensation. Is somebody there with me? But when Mary got the Holy Ghost. See that was on the day of Pentecost. Amen. She started like a drunk woman. Spoke in other tongues, other languages. As the Spirit gave her utterance. Come on. And she was a changed person. Are you with me? And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about getting pregnant. We're talking about getting the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost comes, it's a fire. It's a burning fire. And it burns out sin and doubt and unbelief. And it makes a new creature out of you. For if any man be in Christ, the old man has passed away. And behold, he's a new creature. Not the same anymore. Now you say, if you believe every speck of the word, that's pretty good. You believe every speck of it. You say, you believe every speck of it. I'm quoting Brother Branham. Then the word is laying in there. That's a good place to be. You're going to have to get the word. You get rid of your unbelief. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he will reward you if you will diligently seek him. Faith is an important part. You must believe. He's not going to give the Holy Ghost to people that don't believe. But that believing is not enough. And you say, but, but, brother, but here I believe every speck of the word. Then he said the Holy Spirit is laying, or the the word rather is laying in there. That's a pretty good spot to be in. Some of you, the word's laid in there for years and years and years and years and years. Hopefully it ain't dusty. Hope it ain't melding and molding. Hopefully it's alive. Amen. Amen. You say, I believe you have, believe every spoke a speck of it. Then the word is laying in there waiting for the Holy Spirit to put it to work. 
But it takes the lighting of the candle. Here's the candle with the wick in it. And with all the tallow and everything it has to have in that candle. But until the fire comes on it, it don't shine any light. No matter how perfect the candle is, how perfect it'll burn and everything, it's got to be lit and when it burns, and then it burns and when you believe and are made up of the instructions of what the Holy Spirit is, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, fruits of it, that bears out until the Holy Spirit with a fiery experience comes down and lights that candle, then you haven't received the Holy Ghost. You've got to have the experience to have the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. It can happen. You might have been going on for 40 years. It can happen. It may be this service that happens. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm looking at a man right there that's rejoicing with me. He knows that word was in him for 40 years. In and out and up and down. Shipped in sand. He knows. Amen. I'm preaching his message now. He knows. But there on a sermon, sitting in a seat, right here in this church, not even at an altar, but right there in his seat, the candle got lit. And when it got lit to David James, he ain't never been the same anymore. You don't have to beg him to come to church. You don't have to beg him to do right. It's a life. It's a power. It's a drive on the inside. It takes that lighting of the candles. Even his wife would say, I don't even know this man. He's a different man than he ever was. Hallelujah. And he'll tell you, I'll never sit in a service and just treat it like another church service. I'll never be in another meeting and just be another meeting. Amen. I'm coming with an expectation to meet God. It changed him, and that's what we're talking about. Lighting that candle. You know, really, it don't take hours down at the altar. It takes one moment in his presence. It's no water the long hours down at the altar for you to die out. But the experience we're talking about is not a handshake. It's not a jump. It's not a shout. Nor is it a tongue. It's where you meet God. And your life has changed. Never different. Never the same anymore. Always different. Now this is the way Brother Branham told us. I've got just a few more minutes. But this is what Brother Branham told us. He told us about an eternal prescription. And I want you to know, friends, this prescription still works. It'll inoculate from sin. I know. I know it happened. It happened to me. I know it can happen for you. It's a sin cure. It's not a treatment. And as I've said before, and you've heard me say it, but that's the problem with churches today. 
And they become treatment centers for sin. Give you a little pat on the back, a little flowery sermon. Telling you, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. You can do it. But in this day, the scriptures fulfilled. Brother Branham said, no man has the right to call himself thus until he's talked to God face to face. On the backside of a desert somewhere where he met God himself. Now that backside of the desert don't have to be an isolated place out here. It could be right in the pew where just you and God becomes locked in. And he said, and all the atheists in the world could not explain it away from him. He was there and he knew it happened. And every Christian should have that experience before they say anything about being a Christian. Your own experience. So I talked to my nephew a while ago, a little Catholic boy. They said, Uncle Bill, I've run from pillar to post. I'm going everywhere trying to find something night after night. Before this meeting started, he's been crying at nighttime. He's been dreaming dreams of coming in, running up to the altar where preaching. And many a confession that he's been wrong. What a miserable condition. I had a dream last night. I dreamed I saw hundreds of caskets. And then there were people. And they were ready to be buried. But they were too alive to be buried. Nobody knew what to do with them. They were too alive to be buried. And too dead to live. I wonder if that's not the condition of many. Not really ready yet to be buried. Not ready yet for the afterworld. But too dead to live. To be an overcomer. To be able to rise out of the casket and live. All I can say is, for some that looks impossible. But I remember a word of the Lord that said, Son of man, can these bones live? Sometimes things look so impossible with people that you can only say, Lord, only you know. But then he instructs us, but Son of man, preach. Son of man, prophesy. And say to these bones, live. And life will come into them. And that's what I'm praying this morning is that God will cause a resurrection of those that are true dead to live. To rise up out of their condition. He'd been dreaming of coming in. This boy, this is his nephew. Now, how would Brother Branham instruct him? Would he tell him, you don't just get my tapes and push play. Well, would he tell him, read so many of my books or make it through uh, the majority of the Bible this week? All those things are good. Not against anything about pushing play or 
reading your Bible or saying prayers or whatever else. All of that's good. Joining church, belonging to a group, getting baptized. Those are all right things to do. It's good to be a part of assembly. Good to be baptized in his name. All these are good things, not bad things. He's been dreaming dreams of coming in and running up to the altar. We're preaching and making a confession that he's been wrong. This was a Catholic boy. This is his nephew. And Brother Branham wants to tell him what to do. And he says, this is 1965. This day the scripture is fulfilled. You can listen to this yourself. He said, Melvin, no matter where you try to go, how many churches you join, how many Hail Marys you say, how many blessings you get from man, you got to be born again of the Spirit of God. It's the only thing that has satisfied the human heart. That's, I know, they got a substitute today of being born again. Just shake hands with the preacher. Put your name on the book. But friends, that's a dogma. It's not a Bible truth. If it would, the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter, would have to read like this. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, the pastor walked out and shook hands with the people. But said when the day of Pentecost was fully come, at the inauguration of the church, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. That's how the Holy Spirit come the first time. That's how it come every time since that time. He is God and he changes not. Hallelujah. So we can go right back to the formula. Amen. They said, well, that was for another day. He said, well, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every time the church ever received the Holy Ghost, it's always come like he did the first time under the same prescription, Acts 2.38. Never has changed, never will change. I was, I was talking to an elder pastor in the message. Here some time ago, he said, Brother Tim, I want you to talk with the man. He said, this man has got marriage trouble. Can't live right. Fact of the matter is, he had a, a homosexual altercation and his marriage is on the rocks. I've been trying to patch him back together and his wife is real bitter. There's trouble in the home and, and, and you know, he, he constantly is in porn and things like that. And I, and, and, and I, I tell him, you know, you, you know just, just keep, to, keep trying to, to do what's right and, and keep trying to Live like this, keep growing, keep eating the word. He said, will you, will you talk with the man? I said, sure, I'll talk with him. I sat down with him, and I began to talk with him. You know, he's a man claiming to have the Holy Ghost, claiming to be born again because he believes the message, because he's embraced its truth. But he's got all these little habits and things, and you know, Brother Tim, he's born again. He's got the Holy Ghost, but he just needs to grow. Can you, can you help him? Can you help him to overcome? I said, yeah, I can help him. I can help him, but he's got to start back here. He's got to realize he ain't never died to sin, that he ain't never been born of the Spirit. He ain't never been washed by the blood. 
And I said, so you got to come right down to the point right here where you start repenting. Get right with God and say, I'm a lost sinner and I need Jesus. And I don't care how long I've sat on the message pew, I still need Jesus. I've got to have the Holy Ghost. I said, you can know it. You can know it. Won't nobody have to tell you about it. Nobody will have to persuade you, pet you, and say, come on, go back to church. You're a Christian now. That's what we do. The pastor, the elder said, Brother Tim, yeah, but some people get the Holy Ghost and don't know it. I said, since when? He said, like Mary did. I said, Mary, when she got the Holy Ghost, she staggered like a drunk woman. I said, take your Bible and open it up. Whether it's Acts chapter 8 at the house of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, or whether it's down there in Acts chapter 2, or whether it's in Acts chapter 19, nobody ever got the Holy Ghost and didn't know it. It was an experience every time it came. Amen. And it came with the fire of God that cleansed them from sin. Took unbelief away from them and made them a new creature in Christ. I said, where do you get that? Take your Bible and show me anywhere. I'm telling you again. He's, Brother Branham would tell you in his parting year. 1965, that he's never changed the prescription. He said, like the doctor's prescription for disease, he'll write out the prescription for disease and take it to, then you take it to some quack druggist and he puts too much of the antidote in it. It's so weak it won't do you no any good. He puts too much of the poison in it, it'll kill you. It's got to, it's got to be wrote just according to the doctor's prescription. And he said the doctor's prescription on how to receive the Holy Ghost is given to us by Dr. Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost. I'll give you the prescription. Repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the prescription is to them that are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. And he says the eternal prescription. But you know what we've had? We've had a lot of quack pharmacists that's wanted to tamper with the, with the, with the prescription. Just say you believe the message. Just, just say you agree with these doctors. Just say, embrace this theory and you got it. Or just shout or jump a little bit. Just jump to get it and you'll have it. It ain't that church. It's the person of Christ coming into you, making you a new creature. That's what the Holy Ghost is. Just a few more moments. I want to get to a certain place. Because I know I'm not getting to everything this morning. I never finish a sermon. That's the truth. The word of God is eternal. I never, I never, I never finish a series. I just change the titles. This series goes from Genesis to revelation and it's an eternal word 
And I've been preaching it for almost 50 years and I've never run out. Because His mercies are new every morning. Brother Branham would tell us an Easter seal. I believe Pentecost began without an ending. Why is it then we want to put an ending to it? Why is it that we want to say, oh, that was for Azusa Street and not for us? Friends, they wasn't even Pentecost. It was not a return to the book of Acts. They stood on the edge and looked in. They went to Cadiz Barnea and tasted the fruit, but refused to go across Jordan. I believe the Pentecost began without an ending. I believe it is to every creature, all times, at all places. The Pentecost should always remain. The Pentecostal blessing should be upon the people. And now what is the Pentecostal blessing? It is a confirmation of the resurrection. Brother Tim, that must have been way back in the 40s or early 50s. No, that was 1965 and the Easter seal. Amen. This is the kind of church that Brother Brandon believed in. A church that had a Pentecost without an ending. I say, oh God, don't let it end here. Amen. Let there be a real Pentecost that brings us back to the land again where we are full inheritors of every divine promise. Not just dance around on the borders of it and say the seals are open, but let's go on until the Messiah comes. Amen. If it began without ending, then I want it in this church. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. Hitler took the sacred star of David, pinned it on the Jews, turned their, their towns into ghettos and their houses into prisons. And they made the sacred star of David a symbol of ignorance, of stupidity, of a downtrodden, worthless dogs that were unworthy of living, stripped them of their humanity, of ever better their dignity. Reading an account of one of the little girls that escaped the Holocaust. The doctor looked at her and said, you're strong enough to live a few more days. So we had to pick up all the clothing of all the people that was going into the, into the chambers. They would discard them. We'd search in the pocket. We'd find a little, little moldy piece of bread and slam it in her face. Everything was piling little treasures that they still had held on to before they walked into the gas chambers. Said, I was walking there one day. And I looked and I saw somebody headed toward the gas chambers. I knew where they were going, said, I'd worked there long enough to know they would 
wouldn't survive. And I said, Mama! And said there, the barbed wire was separating us. And I looked at her, and she stared at my face. And I stared at her face. And the guard said, get to work, girl. Get to work. He said, but it's my mama. Girl, get back to work. Or you'll be going there too. And she turns around. Has to turn and pick up another garment. Sort through it for the gold, the watches, the rings, the morsels of bread. The gold star. Today, that devil has wanted to try to turn the name of Pentecost into a dirty name. We don't want to be nothing like Pentecostals. I know. People ask you many times I meet you in the stores, are you Pentecost? And you'll say no. Because you realize they're thinking that they're trying to identify you with another group. I understand that. But brother, the label of Pentecost is not a dirty name. It's the name of my fathers. Peter, Paul, James, and John were all Pentecostals. Are you with me? Amen. It was, but, when, but you know, when you come back in that land... When I was in Israel the other day, that Star of David wasn't a dirty emblem. It was on a beautiful flag and it was waved over their land as a sign of the grace of God that the, that the throne of David will be established again. That there's a Messiah coming. And in that land is a land where they rejoice and they dance and they're proud to wear the star of David and to be identified as the seed of Abraham. And I want you to know today, I am proud to say I'm a book of Acts Christian. I am proud to say I believe the word of God. I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in the gifts of the spirit. I believe in the power of God. I believe in all the promise. You know why I can be proud? I'm in the land. And in this land, that name is a name that is esteemed. That name is a name to rejoice over. Hallelujah. Don't you feel that way this morning? Amen. I am redeemed. I've been bought with the blood. I'm a child of the king. It's light in the evening time. Amen. Will you stand together with me now? The musicians come. Hallelujah. I want you just to worship a moment. I want you to ask God for that Pentecost. I want you to ask God, Lord, let that, let that star of David, let that sign of the Holy Ghost, let me that sign where Jesus is the king be put over my heart. Let that circumcision that circumcises the world off of me and cleanses me and makes me a new creature, let it come on me. Let it come on me. God bless you. I, I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price. Jesus has saved my whole life. 
I want you to just worship the Lord just a moment. Brother Branham would say, 1963, Pentecost is the only thing that approved Christianity. You can't prove it by science. You can't prove it by nothing but a Pentecostal experience. I can hear a prophet saying, are you ashamed? <laughs> and his message is shame to his own church. You know, we put quotes in discard piles if he didn't say it in Jeffersonville or, or be said it before the seals or if he said it to a Pentecostal group, well, we can't receive it. But to his own home church in 1965 and the message is shamed said, are you ashamed to say of divine healing? Are you ashamed of the full gospel? Are you ashamed of your Pentecostal experience? That's being ashamed of his word. That's his word made flesh in you. Oh, it'll take all the dignity out of you, the dignitary way, all the pride. Remember, I was preaching the other day on the woman that wouldn't touch his garment. In order to touch the hem of his garment, she had to kneel way down, humble herself down. If you want something from God, that's where you're going to have to come. You're going to have to humble yourself way down. Surrender your life to God. Say, well, I repented, but I held some things back. Well, why don't you give that today? The day you seek him with your whole heart, that's the day you'll find him. He knows. He knows what you've been holding back. He knows how long you've sat back holding back. He knows how many times you put it off. And all the way, the world's trying to strip you down and pull you off to its gas chambers. You can't be passive about it. You got to say, I need God. And if we want him for our children, we can't be passive about it either. If we want the Holy Ghost in our church, we can't be passive about it either. Amen. We're going to have to be really sincere before God. Call heaven down ever service how many would say I don't want to waste another service I don't want to waste another time in his presence I want to I want to get out of it what God has for me amen that there's something there he has I want to be able to receive his identification I want to be able to wear it with pride I'm a son of the king I'm a daughter of the king I'm a child of his Amen. I'm not ashamed of holiness. I'm not ashamed of my look. I'm not ashamed to look like an Israeli. Amen. I'm I'm not ashamed of looking like a Christian. Amen. In this land, I'm free. Hollywood's goddess has no power over me. Sin has no control over me. In this land, I'm free. It's the land of the free. It's the land where we're saved secure amen
Hallelujah. So that if anybody asks you just who I am, tell them that I am redeemed. Sing it with me now. Well, I am redeemed. I'm born with a cry. Jesus has changed my whole life. And if anybody asks you, just who I am, why don't you tell them that I am redeemed? Raise your flag up this morning. Sing it to him now. I am redeemed. I've been bought with a price. Jesus has changed my whole life. Oh, yes. And if anybody asks you just who I am. 